Hello, it's Ruben here. I'm back with the podcast yet again. This is the second half of the interview with CJ that we've recorded some time back. MacBook is here in one piece finally. And I'm really happy to share this with you, especially today as it is October 22nd, International Stuttering Awareness Day. This is the perfect time to actually share this conversation, the second half, where Cedar goes into more detail about working on his speech, stuttering, and owning and running a business as someone who stutters, which is extremely rare. And he talks about his challenges during COVID times, experiences, and the different types of stresses that come with it. It's a really interesting conversation. I had fun listening back to it because it's been some time since the actual chat so it's quite nice to revisit it and yes given as it is international stuttering awareness day perfect time to share a great story by someone experiencing stuttering like me thank you very much for listening as always hope you enjoy this one enjoy enjoy keep listening on and keep supporting the Underdog Way podcast, over and out. I want other people to be able to be in that position. If they want to go up the route where they run their own business, then I want them to be able to do that and have the confidence to be able to do that. If they want to get a job in the corporate world or in the IT world or in a, any world they want to get a job in, I want them to be able to do that, what they genuinely want to do not what they think they have to settle for. That's the key for me. And and I just I just knew that the way I was being coached by Simon and Ayo was allowing me to get to that point. So while um, this was all happening at, at that time, being coached by them and then getting involved as well with giving back to other people, asking for help, what was the actual feedback you were getting from your family? Because... They must have been like, okay, so this is quite cool. Chris is now like a bit more involved than than he has been previously in the stuttering community, etc. So, what was the feedback and and vibes from your family at that point? If I'm honest, I didn't really take much notice of the feedback from my family. They just they were just happy with my progress. Might sound like selfish, but they That's they were enough. just That's fair they enough, were just. Yeah worried about me mm-hmm. and how I'm getting on. Um, and as long as I was pushing myself and I was doing the things that I needed to do in my own life, then I was in a position to be able to help others. So um, it was actually my dad who, you know, said, listen, guys, you're helping people now. You're making a real difference to people's lives. You need to start doing this more often. You know, there's so many other people out there that need your help. There's so many other parents that do not know where to turn or so many other girlfriends or brothers and sisters or cousins or whatever the relationship may be that need this help. You know, you need to try to do something to allow them to access it. So that's where the the charity was kind of formed. That's how, like, the idea of... SHB came, but where did you actually begin, or how did how did you actually begin the process of of creating like the charity entity itself? Because the two of you, this would have been the first time 
doing this type of thing? Did you have access to help or assistance? Where did it all begin? Because it doesn't just happen overnight when you turn a WhatsApp group into a charity. I think my previous business experience held me in good stead to be able to get this off the ground. Because when you have never had a business before, with the way I was, I didn't know if business worked. I didn't know if normal people could start a business and it actually makes money and it actually works. Or you can actually set it up and create and people want to work with you. So when I started the first business up with my friend and that worked, then I started the recruitment company. I knew nothing about recruitment. I just knew business side. I've learned everything I've had to learn about recruitment pretty much on the job, but I knew I had to learn it. That gave me confidence that, okay, I've never had a charity before, never run a charity before, but I'll learn it. I'll learn it on the job. And for me, people like to read a lot. They like to research a lot. They like to talk themselves out of things too much. If we researched what it took to start a charity before we tried to do it, trust me, I don't believe we would have ever done it. But the fact that we just said, you know what, we're going to start a charity. And that's it. Decision made by any means necessary. Whatever happens, whatever hurdles we come up to, we're going to start a charity. So the first step I took, I knew that Charlie, my girlfriend, worked for a charity called Ambitious About Autism. And I kind of had a little bit of an idea of what a charity model looked like, but I had no idea of what it entailed to actually get a charity number. So because you're now working on your speech, because you're excited to challenge your speaking situation, because you want to have as many conversations as you can, I went online, something I would never have dreamt of doing before. I went online, typed in charity consultant, went through the... uh, search results and I was reading up about different charity consultants and I found one who had their client list on the website and I saw that Ambitious About Autism was one of their clients so I was like okay I know how big Ambitious About Autism is these guys must know something so me and AO no hesitation picked up the phone told them our idea told them what we wanted to do And that we were calling them to ask how it could be done, what steps we needed to take. They wanted to meet with us. And when we met with that person who worked with Ambitious About Autism, we met him. We met him in the British Library, as it goes, on Euston Road. And when we met him, he brought James Redhead with him. Mm. And he was like, "Um, we didn't know that James was coming. And he was like, this is my friend James. I brought him along because James has a stutter. And I think he might have a better understanding of what you're trying to achieve here than me. And James had massive charity experience, had charities his whole life, but we didn't know this. And literally, we just took action. And because we took action and we started talking to people and we were networking, we were meeting these people through just our actions, just by picking up the phone. And you've got to remember, this is something that I never dreamt of. So now I know that my speech is working for me in real life situations because I'm trying to do real life stuff. So we met with 
with James. And James just said, listen, I love what you're trying to do here. I love it because of the struggles that he had. And he could see, he saw the vision with us. And he was like, I really want to help you. I really want to volunteer my time. I'll help you. And then I had, I was speaking to my uncle about it. And my uncle told me that he used to start when he was a child, but he grew out of it by the time he was 12 or 13. And he's got a friend who had an accountancy firm, but he also has his own charity. So again, picked up the phone straight away, arranged a meeting with him, met with him at a restaurant in London. And he was like, yeah, I love the vision. I want to help you set up the charity. I've got, I've got my apprentice here or like a trainee accountant. And what I'd like to do is as part of his learning case study, I want him to help you, help you to form your charity. So together, you're going to work with Dev. His name is Dev. And me, Ayo and Dev were working closely together, created a WhatsApp group. We were going through the whole charity application. Um, Just a quick one, Chris. Was this the first time you've actually... Um spoken to your uncle about stuttering yeah it's the first time about the hour man yeah crazy isn't it yeah it's the first time that i'd ever really spoken to him about it and asked him how did it affect him and but he knew that you um have stutters since you were a kid right yeah of course he he knew he knew but for him because he grew out of it yeah Mm -hmm. maybe he didn't feel like he was in any position to give advice because it just went for him he didn't have to work through it. So maybe that's the reason. But he helped us massively, introduced us to Haroon and Dev. And we went through the charity application. It took a long time to get through it. A lot of backwards and forwards, a lot of backwards and forwards with Dev, a lot of backwards and forwards with the charity commission. And we were just working it out as we went. We were just, we were just going for it. We were just going for it. But, we were confident we were going to get our charity number. I'm trying to think, what made us so confident? Like, was there anything specific that made us confident? No, we just believed in it. We just believed in it. So we were doing all the work on the side, basically operating as if we were setting up the charity without knowing whether the charity number was coming because there's a lot that goes into trying to get a charity number. They're onto it. They're, they don't it just... took a long time, didn't it? Yeah, Think about months, eight months or something. Months, yeah, months. eight, nine, ten months, something like that. I've got the letter at home actually from um, HMRC. Um, I forgot the date, but something like June, um, something or or other when we when we actually went on um, H, HMRC as trustees, and um, I I'm actually a bit peeved off that we we didn't do anything to celebrate celebrate but um we were locked down anyway and probably yeah spoke that day in some form or or forum but yeah um takes a long time no it did take a long time what were you doing in the meantime then um and i'm asking you as an outsider in even though i was involved but um just curious for people listening and watching um, what were you or what were we doing in the meantime while um, this kind of administrative uh, formality was taking place? Well, in the meantime, we were planning everything, strategizing. We were coming up with our coaching program. 
we were coaching people at the time. From um, different programs. Yeah, just uh, privately. We were hoping that we were going to be able to build up a track record and a bank of testimonials before we got our charity number so that when we went for for charity funding or when we were trying to show our impact, we had clear testimonials. Turned out we helped a lot of people, but we weren't able to get any testimonials, unfortunately. And um, th- this was all free coaching, right? This wasn't yeah. like... Um, um, we, we didn't have any paid service. This was more what kind of us... Um, um, like giving best and just um, I'm seeing who we could, we, we could help in the time that we had. Yeah. With the resources. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what that was for us. That period was just helping people as and when we could, we were devoting a lot of time to it. It was, it was for the love of just seeing people make progress. That's what it was for me. Just seeing people make progress when they'd lost all faith. They felt like there was no point in trying to use technique ever again. And um, it's quite sad when you know how beneficial it can be to just do it in the right way that suits you and push meaningful comfort zones that mean a lot to you, things that you dream about doing. You know what the formula is. And when you can see other people just turn around to you and say, you know, I've been using technique for X amount of years and it never works for me in situations that matter to me the most. You just think, listen, I just want to help you. I just, I know that you can do it. I know that there's a way. And that year was about anyone who wanted help, we were prepared to help them. We'll never chase anyone to help them though. We were never offering the service out. We were never chasing people. We wanted people who genuinely wanted to help, who were prepared and motivated, um, who wanted to put in the work. And um, it was just about making people aware that we were around, you know, that we were, we existed, that Stop Holding Back would be starting and um, planning a bit of a funding strategy. You know, that time was just planning. There was a lot of meetings. James helped us massively during that time. Um, me, you and AO established what was happening with us. You know, you understood the vision. It was a, it was a important period. It was an important period. And when the charity number came... When it came for me, it was like, all right, cool, it's here now. But we've practically been putting in the work but, anyway. Yeah. You know, so. We went down the road. Um, kind of, we, we had progressed past that point. So um, it was more of a, I guess, a tick box as opposed to a crack open the champagne, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, one important thing that I would mention, though, is having a business and knowing what rejection is like and what it is for people to say, okay, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to try and open this business? You know, there's a lot of recruitment businesses out there. You know, there's recruitment businesses that have been doing this for 25, 30 years. Why are they going to use you over them? Experiencing that 
working through that, strategizing through that, held me in good stead for setting up this charity because as you know, as a lot of people know, people didn't think we were going to get a charity number. They thought, okay, yeah, they're just they're just on a bit of a they're just on a bit of a what can you call it? What's the word? A bit of a hype just because they've managed to Yeah, managed they've just managed to get a bit of control on their speech and they think they can coach people now and you know, CJ's never been a coach on another program. What makes you think you can do that? All this constant little uh, subliminal messages that we were getting in stuttering communities and little shots fired at us. Just a book club. Yeah, like just a book club. All these things, when you have a business and you're used to people, you know, putting up roadblocks, hurdles, you have to get over them. Dealing with difficult people. We've been through three accountants in three years, you know, because... It's um, you meet people that are tough to deal with. When you've experienced that and you try to start a charity and you know that that's coming at you, you're in a good position to be able to deal with it, brush it off, keep going and just drown it out, not care about anyone's opinions and whatever anyone thinks. And as long as you're doing what you set out to do and you're helping people, that's the main thing. From a personal perspective then, so when... People were coming to you for help. Um, did you kind of see um, a sense of yourself in them, like that kind of helplessness and that um, that level of anxiety? Did you see a part part of yourself in them? And like, were were you able to kind of push push their buttons in the right way, like in the same way that? Um, Simon and Ao did for you, like because yeah, they can feel the same um, pain, etc. But um, like, did they have the right um, kind of attributes to actually um, take the necessary steps to move forward? Yeah, like I said before, Ao and Simon knew they weren't wasting their time on me. And when you're coaching someone, you know how to push them at what point, or you should know how to push them at what point. And you know whether people are prepared to do what you're asking them to do or not. They're prepared to take action or not. And um, the people that we were working with were prepared to take that action because I think when you lead by example, people believe in it. When you lead with honesty as well, people believe in it as well. And when you're honest to people and you say, listen, I know what it's like to have been through a course, not have success afterwards, but you still feel like you should and you can't understand why. I know what that's like. I've been through it. So when you're honest with them and you're still honest with them about how your speech is on a day-to-day basis and that you're not perfect all the time. We're not perfect all the time. When they can relate to you, they they fully they fully put their trust in you, and they fully know that you're not just there to tell them, okay, the problem's you. You need to work harder. You know that they're they know that you're genuinely got a good strategy for them to be working towards because you've been through it and you live it. And I think when you're when you're coaching someone, 
and you're not genuinely living what you say you're living, then they can see through it straight away. And that's why other programs don't work because the advice that you're given is not real advice that has been tried and tested that people practice on a daily basis. So people can see through you straight away. And I think that's what was key for us to be able to push the buttons at the right time for them to make progress at the right time. And a big part of that was um, like the, um, I'm going to call it exposure or putting yourselves out there in various forums and um, sharing as much as possible just to um, kind of, kind of show people that, um, that you are actually um, progressing and um, like, and actually um, enjoying speaking. Um, but still there was, well, there still is maybe quite a lot of skepticism around the stuttering community in general. Um, what do you think is like the, or are the biggest reasons why there's like quite a lot of, I'm going to use the word distrust um, across um, program to program, group to group, um, because you you rarely see people agree with each other on things. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. From, I think, any program that uses a speech technique that gets a bad review, let's say, and people, that's where you get people arguing in these stuttering communities online or on Facebook, wherever they are. I think it's because they're not honest from the start and they don't manage people's expectations. I know when I went to a speech course for the first time, I was expecting it to be a magic pill. It wasn't marketed to me that you're going to have to put a lot of work in. It wasn't marketed that. And people go to these courses because they they want the magic pill. They want the magic pill. And if it's not explained to them what is involved beforehand, then they go there, they leave, and they're put off by how much work you have to put in afterwards. We know through our own journey that any speech course is like driving a car. Yeah, they can get you to pass a test, but when you pass your test, that's when the rule, that's when you really learn how to drive. And it's the same with it's the same with speech. And if people are not motivated and they're not willing to put in that time, then they're always going to get that, they're always going to get the experience that they've had. And that's what causes the arguments because people genuinely do not believe it works because they're like, I tried it, but it didn't work. But my opinion is, you tried it, but you didn't commit to it. You didn't do everything that you should have done. Now, that's not necessarily the individual's fault. They wasn't coached in the right way. That's not their fault. But that does not mean that that technique does not work. Because we're living proof that it does. We're using it in our working environment. We're using it in situations that matter most to us. You have given a speech at your wedding and smashed it. I've given a speech at my dad's funeral the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and I got through it. So 
there's no way anyone can tell me that this don't work or that don't work. What what I know is that people argue because when they try something, they don't try it for long enough and they don't like the fact that they have to keep it up. And I just think that that's the, that's the harsh reality of it. Do you think that um, people are looking for the um, easiest way sometimes because um, that there are... There are people out there who do offer um, kind of easier ways and maybe throw mud at the other types of courses or therapies or whatever you want to call it. Um, do you do you think that's kind of like an attractive proposition for people? It is anyone who anyone who researches speech courses and looks at one with minimal effort obviously you're going to be attracted to it anyone who looks at a speech course as the cheapest obviously they're going to be attracted to it cheap um minimal effort this is brilliant like this is the magic pearl i've been looking for this is what i've searched for so obviously it's going to be appealing but for me if something works and it's going to require me to work hard then you've got to put in the work. That's just my attitude. But I can understand why people get frustrated because my attitude used to be, before I realised what work was required, my attitude used to be, I'm not working on my speech because when you compare me physically to someone else who's fluent physically, there's no difference between us at all. Why should I have to work on my speech and he doesn't have to work on his speech? Why do I have to put in all this work just to do something that 99% of the population can do when someone fluent hasn't got to do that? And that's kind of what I feel a lot of people are in the stuttering community that are coaching. That's what I feel like a lot of people are basing their kind of marketing on. Like, you don't have to do what everyone else in the stuttering community hates to do. You can do this and you're going to be fine. Listen, people have had success at it, I'm sure. But I know my route. I've tried everything there is out there and I know my route and what it took for me to get to the level that I'm at and the level that I'm still working at and it takes work. It's not easy. It takes work, but massive progress can be done and you can do amazing things. If that's the case then, what's um, so apart from like the, the work required and... Um, kind of the I guess within the like kind of environment of different courses like why is there um I guess um a stigma against kind of applying um techniques to to, to your speech why is it such an issue that that people say oh well um I should be able to speak um how i want why should i have to um, modify my speech to sound like this just to speak as in why is there that type of complex you think because the reality of it is you shouldn't have to work on your speech in order to talk that's the reality of it but that's the situation we're in but that these are the cards that we've been dealt are you going to continue to play the game or are you going to give up what are you going to do and that's 
I was at a position that I completely gave up. But I had a victim mentality where I'm going to struggle the rest of my life. I'll be lucky to get any job. I'll take dead-end job after dead-end job. Um, if if I can get someone who I'm lucky enough to employ me, then that'll be great. And I'll accept that I'm going to live a life that's going to be a challenge. I'll just accept that. Um, but like I said, these are the cars that we're dealt. We've got to work with it. We can't just give up. You only get one life and you can't live it worrying about people's judgment, people's opinions on you. And I think that the stigma with technique is that it's, it's always considered to be like an entry level kind of strategy to working on your speech. It's always considered an entry level and then there should be something that you move on to. Why? What's there to move on to? If you can make a speech at your wedding, Ruben, what's the next level? What's the next level to that? We always talk about, um, like from, I guess, our shared interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and martial arts, we um, talk about the white belt mentality, isn't it? Yeah. And um, if, if, if you manage to actually uphold a white belt mentality then you will always be learning and progressing because as, as soon as you think that you are at a stage where well i don't really have to do that now because, because i'm a purple belt i should be focusing on these escapes and these techniques i shouldn't be bothering with with this basic stuff then um that's when um, things start start to unravel and you start getting tapped out by blue belts. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when, when the instructor's in the middle showing you a technique or a move or a sequence, your purple belts and your brown belts are standing around in the circle with your white belts looking, looking at every little intricate move. They're still have that student mentality because they know if they don't keep it up, they're going to get choked out. And with us, we're going to get choked out. I saw a post, I think. Literally. Yeah, literally. literally, Yeah, literally. I saw a post on something that I put on Facebook. I think it was during the lockdown. And someone said, yeah, but, you know, your method only works if you stick to it. I was like, all right then. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Like, (laughs) What kind of comment is that? Your method only works if you stick to it. Any method only works if you stick to it. If you're using mindfulness to work on your stutter and you stop practicing it, what's going to happen? You know, you're going to fall back in whatever strategy you use. So you can't say, oh, forget technique. You're always going to be holding on to something if you've got technique. No, if you're judging someone for using technique, you're still holding on to something, in my opinion. See, um, that type of mentality really... um really kind of annoys me because um there seems to be like um like they put people on a ped- pedestal when they have some kind of perceived natural talent and for someone who's like worked hard and like kind of like gone up the ranks like the tougher way um they don't get that that same kind of kind of credit even if they are ta- talented 
Mm. Um, and um, there seems to be like that. Well, like you've got to keep working and keep practicing. And if you stop, then it doesn't work. Well, but that's the basis of of like speaking, isn't it? Well, speaking well, really, because any form of public speaking, people practice speaking, speaking, not speaking, but speaking. Mm. David Beckham did public speaking classes to um, perform in front of the camera. Like they had that vision of becoming a brand. There's count countless, countless other examples of people doing the same. So that kind of mentality is pretty common, I think. And even when people join a start stuttering course, stuttering course, they have that mentality sometimes. And then afterwards, they get success and then think, well, now I don't have to do certain things. They revert back. And especially like really soon afterwards because they are um, enjoying a new sense of freedom, but they forget like what got them there. And that's when you see quite a lot of people delving into like um, loads of other ancillary things that can help with different areas, but uh, one um, thing Jose Mourinho said, I've mentioned him twice now, yeah. but he comes out with his great lines, but he said, um, when people were asking him about like his training methods and stuff, and he said, if you want to play the piano, are you just going to run around the piano and do laps? No, no you, you play the piano, isn't it? Exactly. Like, like you don't read books about playing the piano or like, watch people do it or like visualize it yeah um, that stuff helps but if you're not actually playing the piano then you aren't actually improving at it yeah i think there's three things that cause people to do what you just described who find success with their speech when they start to use the technique the first reason why they will want to drop the technique is because all of a sudden they find themselves in a position that they've never ever been in before so it's excitement which I think it's fine. It's good. That's fair enough. Okay. I've been there myself. Yep. Yep. I've been there. I think the second thing is the peer pressure of the stuttering community. When you start getting involved in the stuttering community and you see people writing things like, why are you using technique? Oh, but that's a technique. It don't last. Or something like that. You think, okay, maybe I should drop it because I don't need it no more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, the third reason why people drop technique altogether is because if they do hit a bump in the road, they've never been taught the art of self-coaching. And I think unless you understand how to self-coach yourself through any difficult period, you're never going to believe that technique really works because you don't know how to reinforce it to yourself once things start to drop a little bit. It's almost like if you have a personal trainer who gets you into shape and you're not really paying attention during the workouts. They're telling you everything to do. They're even counting your reps for you. If you move to another country and you have no education on how to keep yourself in shape, you don't know how to write your own training programs. Are you going to keep up your fitness to the level that you can with that personal trainer? You're finished, man. That's That's what I mean. And it's the the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing with working on a speech, and that's why people that hate technique and scrutinize techniques because they've never really understood that. 
they've never really been introduced to that. They've never even they might not have ever used technique in their life to understand that you need to understand how to self coach. When you're reliant on other people, you're always going to fall back in every area of your life. Every area of your life. That's what I truly believe. If you're reliant on someone else to help you get through whatever it is you're trying to get through and those people are re- removed from the equation, you are going to fall back. And that's what happens with people that use technique that do not understand the art of self-coaching. And the art of self-coaching isn't taught on, I don't think it's taught on any program, apart from any program that uses the speech technique other than ours, really. And um, we've actually, like both of us, picked up from um, from like different things. So like our backgrounds in sports and stuff with, with, with your um, uh, pursuit in basketball and me with um, football coaching, Thai boxing and, and that type of thing because um, cause in Thai boxing especially to to make progress you 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 have to actually take ownership of your training mm. so uh, um i found myself like taking a book and taking notes um after sessions just even if it was um writing down the number of press ups and stuff i did or burpees and combos like keeping a diary and then reverting back and then when you get to like technical sessions you're going to have um like all the different bits there. So putting that down to paper, mm. then when I'm training by myself, I can actually go through combos that I did the other day from um, coaching instructor, etc. And, um, and like that type of mentality, I, d- I don't think that it's, um, it's kind of, it has to be taught in, in like a special way. If you're, uh, bringing that into a speech course, you can't just say, "Yeah, uh, adopt a sports mentality." Uh, people who do sports, they practice, practice, practice. Okay, that's it. Then there's like a lot more to it. There's so much more to it. It isn't just about practicing something that that you've seen once or twice and just doing that again and again. Mm. If it doesn't work, then you, and you're still practicing it and it's not working you have to have your own ways of actually understanding the mechanics behind it and breaking it down. And um, that's what self-coaching is. Yeah, it's like it's like arguing uh, football training doesn't work for me, Ruben, because I'm not a professional footballer. Okay, so you're going to tell everyone that became a professional footballer that was obsessed with becoming a professional footballer that worked their socks off to become a professional footballer, put countless hours into practicing on their game that it doesn't work. Because that, for me, is what people are actually trying to say. If you do not put in the hours, you are not obsessed with becoming the best speaker you can be. You're not obsessed with working on your speech. You don't fall in love with that journey. It ain't going to work for you, obviously. It just isn't going to work. And... That's my that's my personal opinion on it. That's what I believe is true. People can argue it. People can counter it. That's fine. But I know my journey. I know what I've tried. And I've been through some really tough times. Really tough times. Some serious real life stuff that if you haven't got any control of your speech, it 
like your emotions, everything can get out of hand. And it's really helped me. It's really helped me to get through really difficult times. So if it can help me get through those times, I'm never going to try and fix something that isn't broke. And for me, when you try to convince yourself because you saw it on a Facebook group or the general vibe of the stuttering community is that technique does not work or working on your speech in that way does not work, then, man, for me, it's crazy. Like, you have to you have to really experience it for yourself. You've got to commit and you've got to really understand what me, you and AO have been through. Without a doubt, man, let's um, change, change it up. Change it up. I always wanted to, um, like, I said quiz you on on how um, SHB, SHB has progressed um, last um, six to seven months. Um, quite a lot has happened. We've reverted from our um, spiritual home at WeWork yep. to our new spiritual home on Zoom. Um, like from the beginning to how it is now, like what's, um, what has the lockdown journey been like for SHB? The lockdown journey has been a difficult period for a lot of people, but not for SHB. That's what I would say. It's almost, it's really sad what's happened and it's terrible what's happened. You know, it's affected my business on a personal level, but for the charity, it has allowed us to bring whatever progress would have taken maybe a year into three months. I genuinely believe we, we've been able to continue the mission working online through Zoom, through video conferencing, through the use of social media, we've been able to really create a community that is supportive, that are helping people. People have been able to make massive progress during this time. And to be honest, it's just been it's just been amazing. To see some of the people, their transformations, how you got people who came into the community nervous and now they're leading speech club within the space of three, four months. For me, it's just it's just amazing. They're taking on challenges outside of the stuttering community. They're getting involved in things they never thought they could get involved in. Uh for me it's just been it's just been amazing to see. It it's come to life during a time that it shouldn't have, if you know what I mean. Yeah, without a doubt that out and um uh, one thing i wanted to specifically ask you about is um shb unfiltered and and um like that's something that, that we did together um when lockdown first started and um how did how did you feel kind of going going into that challenge when when i brought it up because i've had a pre previous previous experience on like kind of um on that podcasting type journey and and um like being a bit more comfortable on video etc like what were you thinking when when i kind of like dragged dragged you along with me on on that journey what was the vibe at the beginning actually because you thought it would be 
three of us actually, isn't it? As in throughout. I thought it'd be and the three of us, yeah. And we had um Sandjog as well involved at the start and a few other people. Yeah. But eventually it was just the two of us. But yeah, like f- from the beginning. I just thought that is something I'm definitely not comfortable with. However, is something that you want to do. So if you don't do this, you're avoiding because of your speech. Not there's not a genuine reason why you wouldn't want to do it. You want to do it. You genuinely want to do it. So your your fear is being in front of the camera, being live on Facebook. I never been live before in my life before that. I never knew what it was like to go live in a Facebook community or um, people leave comments. I didn't know what was coming at us. I didn't know what to expect. I knew that there was a skill to podcasting. I knew that it wasn't just turn turn whatever machine you got on and just record a podcast. I knew that I knew that there had to be an element of planning involved. I didn't know who was going to do the planning. It turned out you did the majority of the planning. Um, so I was quite nervous about it, but I thought, no, this could be brilliant. This could be an opportunity to really show people that during a tough time, you have to still keep things up. You still have to push yourself. You still have to take action. So that's what motivated me to really want to do it, just to lead by example, encourage people, try and even if we inspired one person, which I know for sure we did, um, then it will be well worth it. And it was. And you can really tell the difference. I was listening to a couple of the episodes the other day, and you can really tell the difference from when I first started to even when you get to episode 10, it's just a different, it's just a different me. It's a different vibe. You get comfortable with the camera on, you know, the evolution of it. You started to get mics. You started to get excited. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think both of us actually, like you can see the progression there as the, um ep- episodes went in the two two of us because um yeah like like kind of from from your personal experience mm-hmm. this was your first really kind of like deep dive into that and you really jumped in the deep end and um i've had previous previous experience but even for me like this was massive because i like kind of stepped up as well and you could see my improvement that that was pretty pretty cool as well because mm. uh, we were both kind of on this journey together, and and it was daily, it was regular. And if we weren't like happy or wanted to improve something, just do it, do it the next day. Yeah, and um, yeah, carry on. Like um, we get to episode ten, the famous episode ten. Yeah, well, I mean, twenty. If we so think on. about, if we think about what made what made us start up and what made me nervous again the same mentality i had going into it i don't know anything about it but i'll work it out that that kind of mentality sticks with me and when i when people tell me that it's not worth it or you shouldn't really do it that makes me want to do it even more so when i was seeing people leave the comments like what is this what are you not doing how is this helping someone you know we it makes me want to do it even more and then when you when you start getting those regular people coming on every single day 
they're commenting, they're getting involved, they're contacting you privately because of something that you said on the podcast. You know, this is why we were doing what we've done to inspire, to make people want to take action. And when people are messaging you saying what you said really resonated with me because of what you said, I done this today. That's that's all that matters, man. That's all that matters to me. And yeah, you you might be scared, but you've just helped someone. Yeah. So by you facing your fear, they're facing their fear and everybody's pushing themselves, everyone's making improvements and you're committing to something and how you do anything is how you do everything. Right. What did you personally gain from actually um, doing it every day for that amount of time? Because it is a commitment and um, like you had to, well, well, we had to actually start planning our days around it and yeah. and um, like kind of plan our, our like um, interaction with people, calls or visits or well, eventually visits when we were allowed to. Yeah. So um, um, like what were the the benefits of doing it every day for that long? Well, people will say, oh, but you could do it every day because you were locked in. You had nothing else to do. It was a lockdown. Yeah. But how many people said they were going to do a home workout and actually done it for the whole time of yeah. lockdown? It's, it's difficult to commit to anything, regardless of what the circumstances are. It's difficult. It takes, it takes commitment and resilience. And there's times where... I was ill, you were ill, I couldn't be bothered to do it, you couldn't be bothered to do it, and it's just like, no, people are, what happened was, is that, because people were waiting for it, yeah, it created, it just created a mad momentum, yeah, that I was really enjoying, that's what, that's what really got me to that computer at six o'clock every evening, uh, even though we were late or early, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. it may be, but, um, what I learned is that things do not happen overnight. Improvements do not happen overnight. But we were getting better every day. Every day, every day, yeah. every day. We were getting better. And uh, people, more people were interacting. You know, we were getting people from outside of the stuttering community that were interacting. Family, friends. And Family, friends, everything. friends of friends. School friends. People yeah. Back in the day school friends yeah. mm-hmm. you know i had a friend from america that i had spoke to for a while reach back out to me because he watched the podcast and listened to the podcast you know it was just it was just brilliant it was just amazing but the main thing it taught me is that if you stick to something and you see it out you will get results and that's what's happened and um even though we um kind of finished so we got up to ep- episode 100 yep um, we finished that. I forgot the exact date, but some point in in July. Do you rem- remember the date? I'm trying to think. Don't worry too I much. Can't remember now. But I do believe that this kind of set up and this now is all a product of that. Hundred percent. And even though like we've like finished, we, we we've closed that chapter now. Um, back in July, which feels like a long time ago now. Like we can still feel the actual, um, like the ripples there because it's, um, like really become a big part of like what we do now and, and and kind of um our, our mindset and plans because you've actually incorporated podcasting into your business now. Now, would you have envisioned that at the start of the year? No way, no way. 
Never. I didn't even understand what podcasting can do for a company. Yeah. Um, our podcast isn't really properly launched. We have got three episodes out, but we've already had someone reach out to us and say, I heard the podcast. Uh, really good. Really, You know, perfect. You don't know who's listening. Yeah. You don't know who, what person you're going to touch or what person you're going to inspire or, or what it can do for your business or a potential client that never really knew who you were, but now understands your personality now wants to work with you. You know, you got to, you got to be, you got to be using these media channels and podcasting is one that is heavily overlooked. But if you look at anyone who's anyone, chances are they're doing a podcast or they're featuring on someone else's podcast. Um, Now is actually a good chance for you to actually plug it. So yours and, and Steph's, podcast so feel free to um gas up a bit well the podcast is hosted by stephanie it's called the runway to excellence it's the official sjr podcast where we well stephanie interviews and meets with people that have worked started at the shop floor and they've had a runway to excellence where They've progressed in their career because at the moment the retail industry can be quite a difficult one to be in at the moment. A lot of redundancies, a lot of people don't know if working on a shop floor can lead anywhere and people see it as a stopgap, which in fact, there's people that have built major careers by starting on a shop floor. I mean, Steph started on a shop floor and now she's supplying uh, staff and um, making placements in these top brands. So, you know, it's not about where you start, it's where you're heading and we're meeting with different people that have started on the shop floor that are now either heads of areas, regional managers, retail director, European regional director, set up their own business, yeah. you know. So it's just about letting people know that if you are in retail, there is a roadmap that you can follow and there are different routes to take and people have been very successful. Yeah, and I just want to say, um, I guess, that thank you to yourself and Steph for um, for providing the venue for, for this episode of the podcast because we are actually filming this at Stephanie Jackson Recruitment. Yep, no um, problem at all. In Southgate, in not Wood Green. No, not Wood yeah, Green. I made a mistake. Um, just to finish off, like... Um, you've spoken about your relationship with your dad in the mm. past and yeah he passed away and um and that affected you a lot how um if he could actually see what you've done here with business with the charity progression podcasting and doing all the stuff like um what would you think the conversation would sound like conversation would probably sound like don't know it would be well i do know he'd be saying something something to me like look how far you've come look how far you've come people always associate how far you've come with like financial sometimes and uh for me it's more of a personal journey and i think he would have just been really happy that i'm prepared to get in front of a mic and whatever happens happens if i block I block. If I stumble, I stumble. And the fact that I'm prepared to get in front of a mic, I think um, would just be the best thing for him 
to see. So uh, it would be a cool conversation, that one. It would be pretty special. And um, I didn't actually get a chance to meet him, but I reckon if, um, like, from what you've told me about him, if he was around, then he'd probably be mugging us off every every day during the podcast on Facebook comments. Yeah, he would have yeah. been... He would have been... Uh, he would have been getting involved. He would have been giving us ideas. Yeah. He would have probably wanted to get involved, help help you um, and us get yeah. different guests on. You know, he would have come up with ideas all the time. He he loved this kind of thing. He just loved people having a go. You know, he just loved people that were prepared to try something, were prepared to see things through. And um, that's what motivates me every day. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And um, I reckon as well, he'd probably be really proud of, proud of you because you've actually adopted that now because um, you could probably be straight up with you, with yourself and say um, back in, I, I don't know when, when it was, January uh, 2018, things were very, very different. Mm. But now you've like kind of adopted that that swagger that he had and kind of, taking it into like the next generation now so um i reckon he'd be really proud of you chris i hope so man i really i really hope so cool um any questions for me before we finish off have you found it because usually we have conversations about whatever speech on the unfiltered but this has been a very different episode a very different angle maybe you've heard things that you never heard before uh from me in terms of my life, how, how have you found it? Has it gone as you expected? Um, I think it's um, it's been really, really good, actually. It's been a lot better than expected because I think the danger is when like we speak, it can kind of end up with us just agreeing with each other for 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 two hours and just, yeah, yeah, it's right, Chris, and yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And just kind of because we've already spoken about these things so many times and... Um, just in our calls and and a hundred episodes of <laughs> yeah. podcasts, etc. So there, there will be overlap. But um, I was kind of, kind of trying to go in from different angle, trying to see like what makes CJ ticks, but CJ tick because um, there, there is still like something behind that that is powering all his action. And, and these ideas and stuff. And um, it's important that we try to re- revisit this mm. at cer- certain points, at certain points to kind of recalibrate ourselves um, and push us forward. And I've um, kind of felt very different actually to um, the previous things that we've done because it's been a, a bit more of um, like a, a conversation on, a deeper level and stuff so um, i've really enjoyed it i hope you've enjoyed it as well no i've really enjoyed it really enjoyed it man thank you very much for having me on it's cool man all right i need to get home now <laughs> but um let's kill it thank you very much christopher jackson aka cj that's it from me thank you ruben press the button chris thank you for supporting the podcast as usual i'll be bringing to you a new episode really really soon so please look out for it thank you again and hope you enjoyed this fantastic conversation with christopher jackson